0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. In the Grace Community Church, if it's your first time, we extend to you a very special welcome. I'm so grateful that Jeff is able to be here this morning. We go back a long way, as he said. We have things in common, uh, including uh, that our first wives are with the Lord. Uh, but Jeff uh, is a really interesting guy. I'm not saying he is Josh Tate's doppelganger, but he's not too far from it. So you really want him. And incidentally, Josh has been a mission missionary as well, Philippines, Indonesia, or... Uh, Irinjaya, but please make it a point to see Jeff afterwards. Ted and, and, and Jeff had a good conversation, both having served in South America before the service. Um, this morning, of uh, announcements I want to make. Um, stay for Discovery Lunch. If you are new to Grace Community Church, we'd love for you to come after the second service. Come to Discovery Lunch. We're going to have subs and pizza and just time to get to know each other. If you don't know the elders, staff, some, several of them will be there this morning. We would love to have you stay. But if you are in this service and you plan to come back, it be about twelve fifteen, probably before we eat. Please sign up out in the uh, lobby so we can order a little bit extra if you would. Uh, then a couple of other things. i already been touched on. Baptismal service on October 22nd, but... If you would, be in touch with me. We like to put it two weeks out, which means next Sunday. Uh, We may extend it a little bit beyond that. But if you want to be baptized on October 22nd, uh, then please be in touch with me. That is going to be the Sunday of Kyler Martin's first for us. uh, as new next generation ministry. What do we got going on here? I don't know. Let's, let's try this, and if it doesn't work, I'll go to the, the handheld mic. Uh, but if I do, I'll be running all over the stage, you know how it goes. So um, on October 22nd, Kyler is going to be preaching. We're going to ask everybody to stay a little bit afterwards, and then we'll determine whether we want him to preach again anytime. No, I'm just kidding. We know he will. And speaking of John Martin, old TVR guy, Kyler's dad is with us. Welcome, John well let's get to Daniel it has come to my attention that some of the note takers among us are frustrated about Daniel because we have four pages of scripture in the journal and only a half page of notes and I want to say as a former note taker I feel your pain Uh, I understand How difficult it is when you want to be taking notes right and left. But really, it's just telling a story. Uh, That is the challenge of narrative, I suppose. Well, I'm going to try to change that up a little bit today. Chapter 3 of Daniel's prophecy tells the well-known story of the three Hebrew children thrown into the fiery furnace and surviving you notice probably how many songs this morning or how many times fire, walking in the fire and Jesus being with us was referenced as David chose well for this morning's message. He always does, but especially so today. But Daniel chapter 3 is a long story and it's best read all at once. Before we read it though, I want to point out a few things for you that hopefully will help um, increase your appreciation and understanding of this story as we go. It might fill in some of the space in your journal as well. First, there is a comedic element in Daniel's narrative. Now, that's the last thing you're looking for. If if you don't see what he's doing, it's kind of dry, it's ironic. But Daniel is mocking and condemning all pagan worship as satire flows from his pen. The number of times that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are called by the pagan names assigned to them is rather funny when you think about it. you know how many times they're mentioned? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are mentioned in Daniel chapter 3? Thirteen times. The officials that were required to bow down to the statue are mentioned three times. And the various types of instruments in the praise band are mentioned four times. Then there's the uniform pressure to conform. Everyone bows to the image except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm, not, I'm sure that advisors would have said to them, Oh, boys, look, this is just political. It's no big deal. All you're doing is pledging your allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar. Don't think of it as a religious ceremony. This is only political. It's the same advice that would be given to Christians some 650 years later. All you need to do is say, Jesus is Lord. It's okay. I mean, Caesar is Lord. It's okay if you say, Jesus is Lord. But you must say, Caesar is Lord. And that just guarantees that you're, you, you are submissive to him as your emperor. Here's the thing, though. Worship is never just political. To worship anyone or anything whose name is not Yahweh or Jesus is a violation of the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make or bow before any images. Well, the third thing to notice in this story is how Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah refused to be defined by the Babylonian names Uh, that were assigned to them when they first arrived in Babylon as slaves. The listing of their Babylonian names some 13 times indicates that they were supposed to act in one way, but they worshiped God instead. Fourth, well, it's evident already at this point in in the sermon that I assume you know this story. Uh, That's the advantage of these Sunday school chapters, as Rand Whitley calls them, or the flannel graph stories, as Dr. Calvert calls them. As you likely know, there was a fourth man in the fiery furnace. And although Nebuchadnezzar says that the fourth person is like a son of the gods, which is exactly what we would expect a pagan king to say, a son of the gods. We believe it was a theophany or a Christophany, which was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. In other words, it was Jesus in the furnace with the three. And it gives us comfort and courage because although he does not always deliver us from our trials... He is with them, with us in them, and goes through our trials with us. Last, it is encouraging to know that God uses our witness in the unlikeliest of circumstances and in the hearts of the unlikeliest people to get others' attention and sometimes to alter the course of events in human history, even if we are several links down the chain. That's what a sovereign God does. He delights in using people that no one would expect to be used to accomplish his work so that he might be glorified. And when he is glorified, it's always a good thing for his people. The title of today's message is Saints in the Hands of a Saving God. It is borrowed from Ralph Davis' title of this chapter, which is kind of a play on Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the It's not kind of, it's a direct play on Jonathan Edwards sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Look, let me just be honest. This title was not borrowed, it was flat out stolen. I've done that. Ralph Davis is a funny man, as you're going to see a little bit uh, later in the message. So I want to read Daniel 3 with a brief comment here and there. We usually stand for the reading of Scripture, but this is a long narrative. And so I'm going to ask you to remain seated. And I wanted for us to pray this morning before we come to the Word. And I'll pray for uh, Lee and Stacey Williford and the loss of Lee's dad uh, yesterday. Our Father, we are grateful that as we have sung in our hearts and our, with, our, with our mouths and with our lungs, that you are sovereign over us and that we are who you say we are. And Lord, our heart's desire is to be glorified, for you to be glorified. In our lives. As we have sung it. As we have heard about your work. In Bolivia. The good report. That 15 children. Came to Christ. Just before Jeff came. To the states. And Lord as we look into your word. All of this. All of this. is why you've called us here this morning. We look forward to the. Time at the Lord's table where we partake in the supper together. And in all these things, <clears throat> we are reminded not only are you a sovereign God, you are a good God. Lord, this morning our hearts are heavy for Lee and Stacey Williford, the girls, Marshall Lee, the, the fourth. <clears throat> and all the family and we just pray that you would comfort them in a time of loss and deep sorrow Lord for others who are in a similar situation that we might not know about we pray that you would be alongside of them as well and lord when 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 it feels like we're in the fire at work or in the neighborhood because of our stand for Christ we pray that You would allow us to see that you are standing with us and you always have been and you always will. So open our hearts and minds to Daniel chapter 3. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 of Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth breadth six cubits he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon okay so we're not getting too far before I have to stop and give a little bit of explanation a cubit is approximately a foot and a half so this is a 90 foot high statue of either Nebuchadnezzar it's a replica of Nebuchadnezzar or maybe more likely one of the Babylonian gods the purpose of this gathering, as we're going to read <clears throat> in the next verse, is to elicit a show of allegiance from, uh, to the king of Babylon from all the officials as far as the empire reached. Now, remember, as we go through this story, Babylon is a symbol of evil, evil all the way through Scripture. We first see a monstrosity of sorts built on the plains of Babylon in Genesis 11. We were there not long ago. But from Genesis to Revelation, Babylon is symbolic of opposition to God. Many scholars think, in fact, that the prophecy against the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14 is really a description of Satan and his rebellion against God and his fall from the heavens. Verse 2. Then Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We're told nine times that he set up this idol. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud You were commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, Liar, trigon. If you would just bug Pastor David about getting a trigon in our worship band, if you and if you are gifted, just see him after the service. If you would. harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, I looked it up, but I can't remember what it is. Uh, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace therefore as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the instruments all peoples nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that king nebuchadnezzar had set up therefore at that time certain chaldeans they were the magicians the sorcerers the other people that daniel and the three hebrew men worked with but Did not participate in their activities. Then certain Chaldeans came forward without any jealousy whatsoever. No. And maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar. O king live forever. You O king have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of all the instruments shall fall down and worship the golden image. Pretty common, isn't it, with Nebuchadnezzar? In furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. King answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, Harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. If you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. All right? Can we just get past this? Is that all right? You ready? Just do it. But if you do not, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He's going to get his answer soon enough, isn't he? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't have to think about this. We don't need time. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which means he was really mad. (laughs) He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated It just means he heated it to be really hot. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army, the mighty men, you three, come here, bind these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the king, <clears throat> the flame of the fire, killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, in case you've forgotten, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. I guess it cooled off at this point. And he declared, Shadrach. Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. You see what he's doing? Over and over, you've got your way, all of you. These three have my way. Who is God? I think we see they gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power, had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies. They yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their God. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be gently won to Christ, torn, just be it, no, shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow. It's quite a story, isn't it? Uh, We believe it occurred in history. And by the way, if you think, you know, I'm just not a fan of history. Look, you've got no choice. If you're a Christian, God works in history. He works in space and time. So, Find somebody who teaches history in a really compelling way and get get, uh, learning about this amazing world that God created that has fallen away from him but is being redeemed by Jesus. Not everybody is going to heaven. That's not the point. But God will redeem this world. He'll redeem our bodies. We will be restored to the perfect state that Adam and Eve were in when they first were created this story being true has many lessons to teach us let's think about five lessons beginning with the importance of understanding we are not to fall into the trap of worshiping religious idols no matter how cleverly disguised they are as political or social interest worship the lord your god And serve him only, Jesus said. Now you might have heard others say, when a good thing becomes a God thing, then it's a bad thing. Because it's an idol at that point. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts, so we are inclined to worship. One of the songs I was trying to remember, um, the lyrics in one of the songs was talking about how we are all driven to worship. Everyone worships. Not everyone worships God. But everyone worships. Some would passionately deny this. I don't worship anything. But you, when you examine political movements and sports organizations, civic clubs, and on and on. You'll find religious rituals, sacred writings, and prophets who extol the virtues of their preferred objects of worship. It's difficult enough to deal with our own distractions that become more than distractions such as sports or entertainment or social media. But when culture requires us to stand for a good cause that we are suspicious is at odds with Scripture, the pressure to conform intensifies internally as well as externally. And Look, a lot of people say, well, yeah, I mean, society has called them for this. I can go with that. I'm, I'm on. But a lot of people get on the train thinking they'll get off at the next stop or two. And only a little bit later do they realize this is an express train. And there's no getting off without a lot of damage being done to your body and your person and your soul when governments and businesses begin keeping score on how you express yourself on social media and the extent of your carbon footprint, the pressure to conform is only going to grow, especially when the government and businesses come to believe that the church teaches hateful doctrine because we believe that God's design for marriage is between one man and one woman. To name only a very... To to, to name only one many areas where the world thinks our teaching is hateful our understanding and our expression is one of great love god has designed this world and and our only way to flourish in this world is to follow his design every worldview save a biblical worldview is too small to encompass everything. But a Christian worldview encompasses everything anybody can have any question about. You may not agree with it, but it's consistent with God's design. And our only way to function well is to function according to God's style, design. But the world says, don't do that. Don't you understand? This is hateful? Look, when your credit card doesn't work, when you go out for gas or go out to, uh, to get gas or or you go out to eat, in that order, okay? Uh, well, if you haven't already thought about it, and if you haven't prepared your heart before it happens, it's going to almost be too late for you to choose whether you will worship and serve God Or your own best interests. Because the world will give you another chance. If you'll just denounce that hatred that you've been spewing. It wasn't a difficult choice for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Whether they were going to bow to the image or not. I mean, that decision was made a long time before. That's why they said, no need for us to talk about this. We're not going to bow. You throw us in the fire, okay. Okay. God is able to deliver us, and maybe he will, but whether he does or not, we will not bow. Will we be forced to make these kinds of decisions in our lifetimes? Mercy, I hope not. And I mean, to the youngest one here, I hope we won't. But millions of believers over the centuries have had to, and whether we have to or not, it's best for us to make our minds up right now whether or not we're going to bow. Second, it's easier to resist unrelenting cultural pressure in community than on your own. So gather regularly with God's people. I don't know where Daniel was. Best guess is that he was off on business somewhere. We know from later, chapter 6, he he, he, he was thrown in the lion's den because he refused to alter his ways. A prayer. Uh, so I'm certain that Daniel was not out there bowing. Maybe he was not forced to, being a high official that he was. You know, but these three guys went through this together. It's challenging to find the right balance in any number of life interests, right? I mean, don't you know, back in the 50s, Uh, Sociologists were really worried about the advances in technology because they would allow people to have too much free time on their hands. Maybe it's free time when we're constantly just clicking around on social media all the time, but it feels like none of us has time to do the things that we would like to do. We don't have time. Uh, there's often one of the tensions that we face is, is, is how much time do you spend with believers and unbelievers, especially if you've got the gift of evangelism. We're all supposed to evangelize, but if you have the gift, you just want to be out there sharing Christ with lots of people. You know, the, the fact is, uh, there's no question we're going to be spending time with unbelievers. That's just, it's naturally going to occur in our lives. But it's no certain thing that we're gonna spend time with believers. That has to be intentional. A lot of you are really good at this, but the amount of time you commune with believers in church and home groups and social activities is gonna go a long way in determining how you will respond to cultural pressure to live and believe like everyone else does. This is especially true. For students of all ages. Strong community will also help in the next area. Do not live as one whose identity is determined by others. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. No matter what the world calls you. No matter what the world says is your responsibility in this life. Just remember, 13 times in Daniel 3, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel probably repeated the assigned pagan names for his friends to make a point. No one can force you to live in a manner you do not choose to live. As believers, we identify with the cross of Christ as foolish as it sounds to the world. Is it difficult to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus? Let me ask another question. Did you think it was going to be easy to follow Jesus? Well, no, I stand for all the right things. Yeah, but... How do you treat your wife or your husband, your kids, your parents? Are you dying to self in those areas? It's not easy. But when we find our identity in Jesus, when we embrace it, it stabilizes our thinking and it directs our behavior. But it also blesses the world, which is the focus of the fourth point. Your stand for Jesus will deeply impact others, no matter how loudly they condemn you for refusing to conform to the culture. Stand with and for Jesus, who gave his all for you. Now, it's fairly evident from our text that Nebuchadnezzar was not converted to the worship of Yahweh because of the faithfulness of He was astonished and impressed for sure, but he did not convert. Even so, this was moving Nebuchadnezzar closer and closer to God. He acknowledged that the Hebrews' willingness to yield their bodies to the flames rather than worship the golden image impacted him. It astonished him. So, let me give just a little bit of a fuller context for this story. Nebuchadnezzar, look, secular historical accounts indicate that somewhere around the 11th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, there was a rebellion in uh, the area where he ruled in Babylon. And so, when once he squashed this rebellion... Then he called all the officials, as we have seen over and over, not just the head of state in those officials, but all the minor officials. Everybody had to come. And very likely, this statue was put up so that they would affirm their allegiance. He's like, yeah, I've been through that, not going through that before. If you don't bow, I'm killing you. If you're that much opposed to me, you're going to die. So you follow me or die. So the statue... Again, it was either a replica of himself or it could have been one of the Babylonian gods like Marduk or Ishtar. Uh, and, and people had to bow signifying their allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, to make this spectacle more interesting, there is a distinct possibility that Zedekiah, king of Judah... Was in the crowd. We're told about in Jeremiah 59. That that Zedekiah went to Babylon. It would have been his fourth year as king. And likely. Again to pledge his allegiance. And there's a really good possibility. As Ralph Davis says. That Zedekiah was there with his backside in the air. And his nose in the sand. Worshipping this statue. This ridiculous. Lifeless statue that was handmade, set up nine times, set up by King Nebuchadnezzar. And the juxtaposition of the king of Judah worshiping the idol and the Hebrew children going to the fire must have made an even greater impression on Nebuchadnezzar. May have made a impression on Zedekiah, a, a, a short one, because he went back to Jerusalem and Closed off the gates and said, we're rebelling against you, King Nebuchadnezzar. But it appears not to have affected him that much. He still bowed to Nebuchadnezzar. But it was all just political, right? I mean, if the boys had just gone along with this political necessity, then they could have ensured that they would live another day to give testimony to Yahweh's greatness. But then they would have broken the first two of the Ten Commandments. Their decision inspires us to this day. And in a really pitiful segue, it leads us to the final point. Faithfulness in the small, everyday moments will repair you for life's challenging moments. Look to Jesus, who will never leave you nor forsake you. This story, when you dig down, is more about Yahweh's faithfulness to his people than it is about them, although we can absolutely admire the courage and stand of our three men of faith. We can properly say, though, that this story is ultimately about the fourth man, Jesus. Jesus was faithful in every single moment of his life. In a word, he was perfect. 100% God, yes. And 100% man's, man. And if we are not faithful in the everyday, small everyday moments, What makes us think we're going to be faithful in the big moments? The good news is when we come to our fiery furnace moment, again, hope that we never do in this life. But when we do it, how we have responded in the small moments is going to make a huge difference on what we do at that point. If we come to that big moment... This is good news. It will not be us. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, I think it is. It'll be Christ living this life through us with the Holy Spirit, guiding us according to the Father's plan. But why don't we trust Jesus in the small moments as well? This week, let's just covenant together to trust Jesus when we're usually tempted to let our guard down and react in anger or gossip or give less than our best or allow our minds and eyes to go where they ought not to go. Well, one of the ways that will strengthen us for the small moments and the large moments alike is when we covenant together to follow the Lord At the Lord's table. Here we are reminded why Jesus had to come and why his perfect life was so important as the second Adam. Adam messed it up, Jesus got it right, which made him the perfect. Sacrifice the perfect lamb of God was sacrificed so that we might be forgiven when we cry out to God in confession of our sins and ask him to save us based on Jesus' death on the cross. And in partaking of this meal, not only do we identify with Jesus, but he identifies with, with us. And here is the promise The fourth man will always find us in the fire. He's been through the fire himself. He will always find us. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are serving in the worship team if they would to come forward. And as they come forward, I'm going to give a few instructions uh, about our time at the table. First of all... Just want to let you know that the bread is gluten-free. So if you have any allergies, there's no problem there. Second, we're going to be serving from the front today. So there will be a station with the bread and the juice in front of each section. Go to the section that is in front of you. You'll be coming down the interior aisles. You'll go back up the middle aisle or the outer aisles. And please just hang on to the elements after you receive them. And then we will partake together. If you are unable to come there will be someone in the back Charlie Williams is back there just raise your hand and he will serve you at your seat. This meal is intended for believers so if you have trusted Christ as your Savior please join us in this meal. If not consider what a a great what great things the Lord has done for you and and, and what a wonderful time uh, for you to profess your faith. Either that or just don't participate. You don't have to come forward. Or you can come forward and, and, and don't take the elements. Um, if you have not yet trusted Christ as your savior. Our text this morning is from Matthew 26. Beginning with verse 26. Now as they were eating. Jesus took bread. And after blessing it. He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again Of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you anew in my Father's kingdom. So you probably haven't thought much of your life. Maybe maybe you think about it every time now. I surely hope so. But this meal is designed to strengthen us spiritually. Not just because we eat the bread and drink the juice. But Christ meets with us in a special way at this, at this table. It's not that the bread becomes the body of Christ or the juice becomes the blood of Christ. But Jesus meets with us. It's a means of grace in the same way that prayer, the Bible, when we take it, this meal, by faith, we are strengthened in our Christian lives. We're better prepared for the day when we must stand for Him. So, Father, as we come to the table, we confess our sins, we believe. Jesus saved us years ago when we called out for forgiveness, cried out for forgiveness, and called on Jesus to save us. But Lord, our feet get dirty and they need to be washed and appropriately, you're the one who washes them. We confess to you that we have said and done things that ought not to have been said and done this week. We confess that we have left undone things that ought to have been done. We thank you for your readiness and willingness to forgive us. This table reminds us of it. And so as we prepare to partake, prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name.